sorry. Uh, I found a suit on the road, so I stopped and picked it up and <laughs> put it on. And looks like it's working out. Okay. Henry Anderson Greer, race unknown, birth 6th of September, 1869, Benton, Tennessee, married 1893, death the 8th of October, 1957, in Benton, Tennessee, Nancy Frances Hargis, race unknown, born 30th of August, 1873, Benton, Tennessee, her death was the 19th of January, 1950, in Benton, Tennessee. Let's go a little later. Hubert Greer, race, white. Birth, the 7th, October, 1897, Camden, Tennessee. Married on the 14th of November, 1915, in Benton, Tennessee. Death was the 15th of September, 1973, in Camden, who was 76 years old. Henry Carpenter, race, mulatto, born 1806, Ireland, married Hester Boyd Derry, race, black, born 1814, London Derry, died, oh, in London Derry, died in 1901, Kensington. For the last, Harry Carpenter, race, unknown, Birth, 22nd of April, 1839. His death, 1902. Married Leticia Nice. Race, unknown. Born, 1846. Alabama, USA. Died, 1924. In Lavernia, Bexar, Texas. Now, when her name is given in quotation marks, it says, slave. This is my family tree. <clears throat> There's slave in my lineage. <clears throat> There's nothing I could do about it. I can't get rid of it. It's no one's fault. It's no one's fault now. I'm not going to blame anybody today. Um, in the culture that we're in, you would, I would be on CNN already. Uh, <laughs> telling uh, people that uh, what they did was wrong when it wasn't, was, was it wasn't their fault. Um, but it affects me. Uh, even though there isn't anything that I can do, it kind of still affects me. I was kind of challenged by this where someone would ask, well, you know, uh, complain about things, and they say, you're not, you don't even have slave in your history. And then you go back and you check, and it's like, oh, yeah, there it is. And you see it, and it kind of gets you. Um, to be honest, I think the odds were against me in <laughs> uh, checking. I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I'm from Wakanda, I'm a prince or something. No, but that's, that's not exactly what happened. Uh, when it comes to a certain demographic, and you mention this in the word slave, or slavery comes up, uh, the idea is it's touchy. It's touchy for a reason um, because, of it, because of the institution itself. Was, it was terrible. But when you read in scripture, uh, Paul, when he writes a letter, he'll start off with a bondservant. 
slave. Titus, slave. Um, I, for one, would never want to consider myself as such. But when you read the scriptures over and over again, you've got these people that you look up to and you aspire to, uh, to be like, and they're considering themselves a slave. It's something you get to scratch your head and look into. So I did, and, uh, and a certain group of people who followed a man, they changed the world, were the disciples, they considered themselves as such. Roman 1, Romans 1, 1, uh, Paul says he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Philippians, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, says, Paul and Timothy, the servant of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, again himself, says a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant of God. Jude 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And I would ask myself, bondservant, bondservant, bondservant. And then the Greek, it just, it literally translates to duolos, slave. Um, and that means a person bound in service without wages. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says, anything that fastens or restrains subjection or slavery, the basic concept in Hebrew and Greek translate to bond or bondage, loss of freedom. The concept connotes servitude to another. The Old Testament uses several words of bondage to describe the period of Israelites servitude. Statistics in the scripture, it says that forced labor is mentioned 21 times in scripture. The title servant or subordinate, 482 times. When there's a slave, there's obviously a master. Master is mentioned 158 times in scripture. Most of the references are in the New Testament, some of which are spoken out of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Um, in reference to physical servanthood and spiritual servanthood. Now, the idea was to contrast what we know here in the States as slavery and what in the Old Testament and even further on beyond that, what slavery was. It was different in the States than it was in biblical times. Um, I guess if you wanna be kind of cheeky, if slavery, the concept was the same if, uh, if slavery were an iPhone, the United States slavery would be the iPhone 11, the newest one. It's just got more features that were a lot worse. When it comes to the idea of slaves in the United States, it meant you were in bondage, you had no rights to anything, not even a name. Uh, you couldn't think about getting married, uh, you were property. Martin Luther King says the state um, that if, states that if America is to remain a first-class nation, it cannot have second-class citizens. Uh, more quotes, it says, uh, there is not a man beneath the canopy of heaven who does not know that slavery is wrong for him. It was Frederick Douglass. Um, and this one was, was interesting. It says, in this enlightened age, there are a few, I believe, but what will acknowledge that slavery as an institution is a moral and a political evil in any country. It is useless to expatiate on its disadvantages. Robert E. Lee. 
So again, when we come to slavery, we look at it in the United States is completely different. And I don't want to wax eloquent about how bad it was. You can go to your history teachers or you can Google it. Uh, it, was pretty, uh, it was pretty bad. But it was targeted towards a specific race. Whereas in the Old Testament, when we're talking about biblical um, accounts and history, it wasn't targeted towards a certain race. The idea was the same. Uh, you didn't have a name, you were property. It didn't matter what race you were from, what you subscribed to, it didn't matter. What mattered was you had a debt that you needed to be paid, or that needed to be paid. So one of the best accounts that we could turn to in figuring out what slavery was, what the idea of slavery was, is Philemon. So please turn in your Bibles to Philemon. So in considering all of the disciples, and while you're turning there, I'll just, you know, um, Paul would, again, he would describe himself as a bondservant, and these guys know that slavery in and of itself is bad, okay? Slavery is immoral. But during that time, it wasn't uncommon for someone to have or own a slave, for someone to be a master of a slave. Uh, you had rich people that had servants and bondservants and slaves during that time, and Paul knew this. Uh, you even had servants when it's, uh, or slaves when it spoke of in the law, in Deuteronomy. And uh, Paul actually addresses that here um, in Philemon, not directly, but indirectly. He's writing to, he's writing from prison. Uh, he's writing to a believer in Colossae, and his name is Philemon, who owns slaves. Um, he greets him in love and thanks God for him and his service to the church. And we'll start in verse 6. Verse 6 reads, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now this is Paul writing to Philemon. And he says, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because thy bowels of the saints are referred or refreshed by thee. Brother. And uh, I'm sure as Philemon is reading this, he's He's like, all right, there's the butter. Where's the, where's the toast? <laughs> in verse 8, it says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. So here we have Paul writing to Philemon from prison about a slave who Philemon owned at one point in time. That slave's name was Onesimus. Now, this had to have been a divine appointment. Paul knew who Philemon was. Paul was in prison writing to Philemon because of this situation. But while Paul was in prison, he meets a slave in prison. And that slave happened to be property of someone he knew. 
<laughs> Onesimus. So, so the fact that the slave who ran away from Philemon, and that's who Onesimus is, he was a runaway slave, he ends up in prison and he meets Paul. It has to be a divine um, instance there. Verse 8 through 10 gives an overview of him saying to Philemon, I'm sending something back to you. I'm sending you not your property. I'm sending you a brother in Christ back to you. Meaning that Paul is saying to Onesimus, go back into slavery. What? I mean, that's like if, again, if you want to be cheeky, Harriet Tubman escaping, going to the north, finding Frederick Douglass in prison. Frederick Douglass is saying, all right, you know what you got to do, right? You've got to go back. You've got to finish your term. You've got to serve. But again, the United States was different than what we have here in time. Onesimus could have paid off the debt. The United States, you couldn't. You were just a slave. Here, he's saying, Onesimus, what you know to be the law in Deuteronomy, if you subscribe to Christianity, you cannot take that law and place it as your life now. What am I talking about? Well, Paul is usurping the authority of the Deuteronomy law. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15, and you don't have to turn there, it says, Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the place which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him, you shall not oppress him. Paul knew about Deuteronomy. He didn't keep to Deuteronomy. He says, no, you're a Christian. And you know that Philemon is a Christian on us. You've got to go back. Go back to slavery and serve out this term. So what is Paul saying? We know that slavery is bad. Paul knows that slavery is bad. Paul knows that Christ's law usurps the authority of Deuteronomy. Or that law, meaning that as Christ fulfilled it, he does not have to keep it. He's saying, um, he's, he's, he's usurping Jewish tradition with Christian principle and sending him back to a master to show grace and exercise Christian responsibility. Now at this point, reading this, I'm still kind of scratching my head because Paul didn't do anything that I expected him to do when you're reading this chapter. He says, Onesimus is supposed to be free. Um, if he's free, then why is he sending him back? He's imploring Onesimus to go back on his own free will. Scripture says to whom is set free, he is free indeed. He wants Onesimus to choose to go back into service. So he had a choice. He had a choice to serve either two things, because in actuality, uh, it's interesting, our brother had spoke this morning, and uh, I didn't really have, I mean, I had an ending, but I had to change it, um, depending on, or from what I heard this morning, because it just felt, fit so in line with master, servant. Um, who are you going to serve? There's only two. You're either serving God or you're serving yourself. It can't be one or the other. Onesimus in Christian history, uh, 
goes on to pay off the debt to Philemon. He then becomes a bishop in Ephesus, and he goes on to um, plant churches and preach the gospel all throughout Ephesus. But he would not have been able to do that glory, or he would not have been able to glory in the Lord um, had he stayed. He could have gotten out of prison and then went on the sea. He could have sailed the seven seas, but he went back and he served. So that gives us an idea of two things. The master, why would he go back to his master? Was it the master that was best for him? For every slave, there's a master. It doesn't matter who or who she is. Joshua, uh, in scripture, famously says, Choose this day in whom you will serve. Thomas said, when he put his fingers in the nail prints of Jesus Christ, he said, my Lord and my God. These are men who decided who they wanted to serve. These are men who decided that they wanted to be servants to God and give up their free will to do the will of the Lord. I would argue that the disciples had a perfect example. That that perfect example was to follow after Christ. An application I read as a brother read this morning, it's Romans 6, it says, uh, 6, 9 says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, uh, death hath no more dominion over him because of his resurrection. In verse 10 it says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he lives unto God. Christ lives unto God, and the disciples had that example to be a servant for God in Jesus Christ. We can even read, if we turn to chapter, or Philippians chapter 2, um, turn with me there, please. We read in chapter 2, verse 5 in Philippians, we see that example. We see the example of Christ. And it says, verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And we read again, as it says, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and that servant translates into doulos, slave. Again, it was the form of a servant. He was a slave to no man. So we should be in a spiritual sense like Thomas when he sees the Lord and says, my Lord, my God, when it comes to these things, I will do the Father's will. 
These men were men that saw and beheld God's light. John put his head on the chest of Jesus Christ and said, I'm going to serve him for the rest of my life. This is a master that I get to serve for the rest of my life. Um, you've got Peter, who then, in his service, decides he's going to get crucified upside down, even after God tells him how he's going to die. He were, they were willing to call themselves servants and serve unto death. The simple question is, do we have that mind of Christ? Are we in the mindset of being servants to God? He can die for our sins. He can make us heirs. But heaven forbid heaven forbid we we make it to prayer meeting <laughs> heaven forbid we find some excuse to do ministry that's fine if you can't make it to these things in ministry, and I'm not saying that that's the way to serve God, are we doing it at home? Are we in prayer? Are we praying for the saints? Are we doing the service to a God that we know has set us in this position? Um, I think it was Peter who said it. it was, um, where do we go? You have the words of life. And he's given us this position, and all we think of are the things that were mentioned earlier by our brother. Okay, well, you know, um, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it here. I'm going to make it here. I'm going to make it here, and then I'm going to die. Like, what were you serving? You were serving yourself. I'm trepidatious by saying these things because... I mean, when you think about it, when I tell, it's like, why aren't you doing these things? Uh, I automatically just think of myself. There's a huge portion where I'm just laying into the crowd in my notes, and I just <laughs> can't not see myself in the crowd in my notes. Uh, all of these things that I've written here is something that I myself have done. Am I too tired to work or serve? Um, is it too late for service? Do I want to be considered a servant or a slave? No. When you think about Jesus Christ, he himself said it. I mean, this is a God who had the whole world in his hands, and he chose to serve it. Matthew 26, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We heard this morning that some things don't make sense without the spirit. This is one of them. To the outside world, who would want to serve a servant king and be subject to that king? When we consider a master, we have to consider some of the masters in scripture. A good example of a good master is Jesus Christ, period. 
um, one thing that was done for slaves after they had paid off their, term, their, their, their payment. If you turn with me in Exodus chapter 21, it states it there. Exodus chapter 21, uh, we'll start in verse 3. Excuse me. It says, if he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. We should be the ones that have earmarks towards God. We know what he's done for us. We know why he's done it, and it's to get closer to us so that we can be loved by him and love him in return. I wonder myself why it's so hard. And it's obviously because of the sin in my life. Why would we not want to serve a gracious master? Pride, period. No one here, no one walked in this room here thinking that they would ever consider themselves a slave. I wouldn't, but all of the disciples did. A slave to the gospel. I have slavery in my lineage. There's nothing I could do about it. Um, it comforts me to know that it, um, at a terrible time um, in the history of my people, it was a group of disciples who, who, being freed from their sin, would consider themselves to be something similar then in order to do good and righteousness towards God. Also, that same God would subject himself to a servant in order to bring me closer to him is also a great comfort. In my history, there was a man named George Carpenter. Uh, it was written about in the San Antonio Times. There's actually a newspaper article. Um, he had a poor boy farm. It was an acre. He only got one acre. Uh, and he had one mule. So he was 39 acres down. But he got his acre and his mule. Uh, he gave his acre away to his church so that the word of God could thrive in the land that he served. He was the son of a slave. He knew what it was like. 
I take comfort again knowing that there was there's Christianity in my lineage. Um, there was a man who was willing to give everything to God after his death. And he knew that willingly being subject uh, or his mother being subject to slavery. And he knew that he was willing to be subject to God. Are we willing to humble ourselves to the point of service? I don't think it's that hard to find time to serve the Lord. There's about, there's a handful of men and women that minister in this church that if, if all would do it, Claremont would be changed. But maybe it's because we don't have that mind, that mind of Christ who was willing to be a servant to others, for others. Please think on these things. I have a lot of things to think of, too. And uh, I believe I've made my point, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, close and ask for a hymn afterwards. The gracious God and Father, Lord, there's, um, we saw it today, Lord, that there was uh, two people that uh, came here to uh, declare that they are free from the, uh, the mastery of sin. And Father, we pray that they, like Onesimus, or should take the, the example of Onesimus and go back into serve a good and righteous master and that's you father i pray that we can have that example as your son also is to subject ourselves to you so that we can accomplish glory for your kingdom there are so many people out there who serve not only themselves um, but they serve uh, the devil who is their father father and i just ask that I ask that we get rid of the things in our lives that we know 100% that are just taking us away from you. And we all know it, Father, and it's either one or two things that if it were just gone, if it were just, if we would just give it to you, then it would be, we would be able to subject ourselves to you. So Father, I pray that we can work on those things um, and I pray again, Father, that uh, as we go on tonight, that we can dwell on the things that we've heard, uh, dwell on the things that you have for us, Lord, with the Spirit. I pray they think these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.